Welcome. On this show, we tell inspiring stories about navigating some of life's bumpiest roads in hopes of offering lessons we can all learn from. This is Dirt Road Journeys. I'm Rob Deptford. Speaking of telling stories, my guest today is living the dream of many people who have an admiration for storytelling. She writes books for a living as part of her mission to maximize people to their full potential, adults and children. She also created a personal assessment system called UMAP, which uncovers strengths, values, preferred skills, personality, all to reveal the secret sauce, as she calls it, of a person. She certifies coaches to deliver that system. And she's just a kind and genuine person, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, from Charlotte, North Carolina, best-selling author, best-selling author, Kristen Sherry. Welcome, Kristen. Rob, that's like the best introduction I've ever had. I'm like feeling beclept. <laughs> that was so great. I And those were kind words as well. But I was listening to what I do and I'm like, oh man, you're nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were talking before we started recording about how busy it sounds like you are. And you said you don't like to use that term busy, right? It, no, I don't because I feel like it's a weird badge people wear to to emphasize that uh, they're important in demand, doing important things, but there's a connotation to the word busy that makes it seem like you're not intentional in your life and that everything, all the demands are dragging you around and I, I, I like to be intentional. That's really probably, I don't, I, I didn't do a word of the year for 2022, but I think intentional probably is my word this year. Intentional, I think, is probably a very good word to, I mean, we all need to have a little bit more intention in our lives, don't we? Yeah, you know, the, one of the, one of the authors, he's passed away now, but Jim Rohn, who has the best quotes, he, he said, uh, he said a quote about that, that if you don't, um, what did he say? He said something along the lines of, if you don't have a plan, you'll fall into everyone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? Not much. <laughs> You're just a pawn in everyone else's chessboard. So I really am not interested in that. <laughs> so I like to really think about uh, my coming week, my coming month, my coming year. And I don't like to over plan. I'm very flexible. It's really served me well to be able to be a flexible planner as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, hey, these are, are some of the uh, some of the really fantastic tips that you share and some of what you've written, too. Um, and uh, when I started off the top saying best-selling author, did you ever think you would hear best-selling author and your name in the same sentence? No, because my first book sold 199 copies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a common story. The, they say that 89% of people want to write a book. And so congratulations to you on doing it as well. 89% uh, of people want to write a book and the majority of books sell 250 copies in the first year and over its lifetime about 2,500. But I don't think most books get to the 2,500 because people stop talking about their book and then it's forgotten and people don't even know that someone wrote a book. But they talk about it for a few weeks and that's when those majority of copies are sold. So no, I never thought that, but it's it was not just, wow, that's amazing that that happened. I spoke about and created content 
it was my third book that became my first bestseller. And I spoke about it and created content for a solid year every day. Video, text posts, um, graphics that I created, but I pulled content from the book. I told stories from the book. I shared testimonials. I shared other people's stories. Anytime someone reached out to me and gave me uh, some feedback on how my book helped them, I turned it into content. And I did that for a whole year. And only then did it get the momentum to continue to sell. I don't have to talk about the book at all anymore. And it's on the top 20 best selling. Well, it hits the top 10 every month since it released. But a lot of times people think that I'm writing a topic everyone's going to love. This is going to help so many people. And content is not king. Distribution is king. (laughs) Well, you know, you raise an interesting point because I mean, it's easy to write a book now, right? It, easier than it has ever been with all of the mm-hmm. different self-publishing options. So, right. um, so just about anybody can become an author, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I think it's that that distribution piece is probably the key, right? Like you can write a book, Absolutely. but if nobody knows that it exists, uh, how much success are you likely to have? That's right. And so you have to be comfortable talking about something and having that sensation that you're annoying people and continue to push through because you have to realize that people have to hear your message at least nine to 12 times before it clicks. And also we think when we put something out there, everyone sees it when in reality they don't. A small fraction of your network actually sees the things that you post. And so they may not have seen the first 10 times that you talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, was that the UMAP book? Yeah. UMAP yeah. was my first bestseller, but yeah. it's also the first book that I signed on with a publisher. So I had a lot of support in terms of my publisher directing me contests to enter different marketing strategies, um, different thing. I had never heard of NetGalley where you could post, I mean, they, they do this for me, but you can post, a digital copy of your book and librarians and reviewers and all, all different people who are into reading books can, can download it and in exchange for an honest review. And that really helps a lot because one of the things that's really interesting is people don't tend to review books. You can sell thousands and thousands and thousands of copies and 10 people will bother to write a review. It's a very, very minuscule percentage. So yeah, my publisher has been really helpful in giving, knowing what works and, and giving me advice on investments to make in terms of marketing. So, and sometimes they invest as well. So it's made, it's made a big difference. If you self publish, you really have to grind a lot and go it alone because you don't have someone with the expertise in the field. Right. Right. Now, did you, did you start out aiming to be a writer? Like, was that a career objective for you? You know, it's really interesting because I didn't see the pattern uh, about enjoying writing, but I can look back to childhood and I can look back to my school experiences. I always received the best grades in anything writing. And I remember when I was in college, I was in one of my neuroscience classes And I remember the professor, her name was Dawn Good. This is Brock University. And she had been a professor for 25 years. I'm sure she's retired by now. 
if she's still alive. I don't know, this was a while ago now, but she, I remember her walking through the class, handing out papers. I had written my paper the night before. I had done the research, but I didn't write the paper till the night before. And I remember her handing them out and saying, in my 25 years of teaching, I've given my first perfect paper. And I leaned over to the student sitting next to me and I said, it sure as hell wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it the night before and I flipped my paper over and saw that red 100 and was just like, wow. <laughs> so I always had this tendency, this strength in terms of writing, but I didn't like the process or should I say process? <laughs> I didn't like the process of writing because in school, they would make you do your brainstorming outline and then write your first draft and yes. your second draft. And I find that I write, I don't like to rehearse things. I don't like when people give me podcast questions ahead of time. I don't like when people want me to do a dry run on a talk. There's something about me that I get more edge when and more impact when I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm 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 much better when I'm spontaneous. Something maybe it's just the fire dolls in me, and so I never enjoyed the process of writing in school. So it I didn't realize I enjoyed it, and then I just decided to write a book because I realized that as an entrepreneur that that would open more doors for me if I had that experience if I could hand a book to a potential customer or something like that. So that was the motivation. But then when I started writing books, I thought, wow, I really love writing books. I love it and I hate it. It's it's a really <laughs> weird thing. It's a really love. It's kind of like having children. Ha having children is awesome. But sure. being yeah. pregnant and delivering a baby, not awesome. So... <laughs> <laughs> So there are aspects of it that are painful, right. similar to childbirth. Right, right. And, and I'll say to myself, why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this again? Because in some ways it's really easy and in some ways it's so hard. Yeah, but the payoff is worth it. Oh, it's amazing because I can reach so many. That's really reaching people at scale is why I write books, because I feel so passionate about the messages I'm sharing. I want as many people as possible to benefit. Yeah. So you, so UMAP was the first big one uh, mm -hmm. that really, really caught fire. And then you had right. Maximize 365, right? And, you, and you've, had, you've gotten into children's books. Uh, mm -hmm. Has there been a favorite? Yeah, I've written six books for adults. I'm writing my sixth book for children right now. I alternate. I write a book for an adult and I have to take a break because the adult books are a grind. My last book was 75,000 words. So, and the one before that was 85,000 words. So wow. it was a bit of a grind. Um, my very favorite book I've ever written. That's a great question. You know, you would think people ask me that a lot and they really don't. I would say my favorite book I've ever written is You've Got Quirks and You're Wonderful. That's my fifth children's book. And it tells the true story of 12 real people who have overcome some sort of, I call it a quirk. Sometimes it's being very tall. Sometimes it's growing up in poverty, growing up overweight, growing up with... Uh, being on the autism spectrum or having a tick disorder 
or Wardenburg syndrome is one of the people in the book where her hair turned white as a child and she has one green eye and one blue eye. And so people will say things to her like, oh, you're like my husky with the two different color eyes, you know? Anyway, that book is really special to me because I feel like kids have a lot of confidence when they're children. And then you go through life with people pointing out your flaws. Truly, how often do people say, I just want you to know that I think you're very talented and very kind. Most of the time through your school experience, people are making notes of your ears are weird or you talk funny or you yeah. smell weird or you eat weird food or whatever it is that people find different. That's what they tend to focus on. And so you have these confident kids who now start to focus inward on these things that have been pointed out and they become, they eclipse the things that are wonderful about them. So while my other children's books teach children to focus on what's great about them, I thought if I don't actually openly address the elephant in the room that they never wanna talk about, they may never tap into those things that are wonderful about them because whatever they're ashamed of, embarrassed about or insecure of, is going to really steal the focus. Yeah, but I think that's a great, great uh, sort of subject area to be in, right? Because uh, I mean, we are we're all on this journey, and that's part of what this program is about. But we do have bumps in the road, and uh, mm -hmm. to point out to children that you know what what you've got, or you've, you've got gifts. Um, and uh, which is another <laughs> so, you, that was got, my first children's book <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly exactly uh, so you, you've got this you've got all the areas covered I think uh, mm -hmm. which, uh, which I think is, I'm writing you've got a voice right now that's the well, one I'm working on so now you know what your strengths are your values your skills your interests you know yeah. the quirks you have and we build confidence to overcome them and look at stories of 12 people who their quirk has often become their superpower. Now let's figure out how to put our voice into the world. That's what we're doing now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So you, where you are now, I mean, are you successful? Would you say? Yes, I would say so. I, I've never asked that question either. Uh, I, to me, I define success as doing something that's using my gifts that feels, uh, like I'm making a difference in people's lives and I am passionate about it and it doesn't feel like drudgery to me and I can pay my bills and take a vacation <laughs> yeah. doing it. So take a vacation every year. So I don't feel, you know, financially insecure. Those that's how I would define success. And I feel like all of those things are in place. So for people who are just maybe starting out thinking about getting into a, a career, a writing career, for you, what were some of the more challenging steps along the way to get to this successful point? Um, and how did you get through those? There are so many. <laughs> there are so many bumps on this dirt road. <laughs> and yeah. really, I would say you have to believe in yourself and in your message because there's going to be people who will say, oh, why do you want to write a book? That's a lot of work and nobody makes any money writing books. You're going to hear all the negative reasons why you shouldn't write a book and you should know why you want to write a book. Are you writing a book to create an authority voice in your field 
Some people don't write a book for money. Are you writing a book to establish credibility? Are you writing a book to create uh, a passive income source, to create scalability and how you reach people? You have to understand why you want to write in the first place because you'll be disappointed in the outcome if you don't have a set intention of what you're trying to achieve. So I would say the first obstacle is really believing in yourself and your message because there's going to be a lot of rejection, a lot of doubt, and a lot of that doubt is going to be yourself. You sit down to write a book the first time and you're like, wow, this is no joke. It is hard to write a book. My first book took me a year and I got lost inside my manuscript. Did I already say this? And I started to learn tips. So I would build my table of contents first. I write nonfiction adult books, so this doesn't make sense for the children's book, but I write my children's books in my head first and think about what I want it to be. I conceptualize it before I write anything because there's a lot of pressure to sit at a computer and say, okay, I'm gonna write a story. So I play with it for several weeks in my imagination and I, and I visualize things happening and I put words to the concept later. For adult books, I figure out if I was sitting at a fireside chat with an old friend and I wanted to tell them everything I knew about the subject that I wanna write about, what would I say? What would I wanna tell them? And that becomes my table of contents, all the topics I'd wanna to touch on. And then I put that at the top of every page and I write in the topics I feel like writing. I don't write linearly, I jump around to where I feel like writing and then I just create the transition paragraph between each chunk later. <laughs> ah, so you I would do have a system. It's maybe not the I old do, system. I do, but I didn't the, the first time and I, and I really got turned around on myself, not sure where I was. Uh, the, the next thing I would say is that I would just dig into the self-doubt a little bit more because you're going to say, oh, look, there's already thousands of books on this subject. Yeah. So why should I write a book about this? But nobody has your unique experiences, background, and story. So when I wrote Your Team Loves Mondays, right? <laughs> That's my book for new managers. There's tons of new manager books out there. And there's tons of books that is the go-to book for new managers as well. But I wrote it anyway because I have my specific stories and what I learned from those experiences that are shortcuts for people. I created things when I was a manager that made managing people easier. And I shared those things. Like, for example, I created a development plan on how to develop a person. And I shared it in the book. You're not going to get that in, a, in an, another book for new managers. So you have a specific perspective to share. Also the rejection. So people are flooded, agents. I don't have an agent. I decided not to go that route, but there's so much rejection, just rejection email after rejection email. And it's not a very respectful rejection. A lot of agents have a policy of no, no news means no, like if you don't hear anything. So you just, it's silence. Mm. So you submit your uh, query letter, they call it, when you're introducing the concept of your book to the agent and they just don't respond to you. So you yeah. just have to, well, after a week, I guess it's a no. After two weeks, after three weeks, how long do I know? You don't. 
And then when you submit to publishers, it's the same thing. It's a whole lot of rejection and no. But then if you think about it, I think J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series, which is absolutely brilliant, whether or not you like that series. I mean, her imagination is insane. Um, I think she got at least 20 publishers rejecting her before she was picked up. Stephen King said that he had to switch from a nail to a spike in the wall from all the rejection letters that he got for his books. That's where that perseverance comes in that I talk, talked about. So yeah. a lot of times people write a book and it doesn't sell and they say, well, I'm not going through that again. That was so much work for no reward. And I wrote another one and then it was my third one that became a bestseller. And yeah. I've had other bestsellers since, but it's really about having a platform. You have to have some sort of a platform. Uh, a lot of people who already know, like, and trust you who are willing to buy your book. And then it's about creating ambassadors. You're not the one out selling the book. Other people begin to tell people about the book. And that's what's happened with UMAP. You get a, to a point where you get this traction where enough people are telling other people that I don't have to be the direct marketer anymore. Right. Right. Well, hey, I'm happy to do my part uh, being an ambassador for what you do, because I think <laughs> it's extremely valuable. Uh, and I hope uh, I hope a lot of people hear this program and uh, and get some of this value uh, that you have to share. Um, so, hey, J.K. Rowling, uh, Stephen King, you mentioned. Are there mm -hmm. are there authors you look up to as examples like that you really follow closely? I really like Brene Brown. I feel her message is very, <laughs> you'll laugh, authentic, because that's what she researches is authenticity and vulnerability. But I think that she's very authentic as a person. And in her writing, I also listen to her podcast. Um, so yeah, I want to be Brene Brown when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, and, and look at sort of what's what's next. You've got some things you have in the works already in terms of your next writings. But let's look at the bigger picture of the industry. We've had a lot of digi digitization over the years. Um, you know, we, at one point we wondered, I think, if people were still going to buy paper copies of books because everything was going online. And we know now, at least at this point, that there is still a demand for, you know, something that people can hold in their hand. But where do you see things going? How do you think you're going to adapt in your own business to what you envision the future of that business to be? Well, just to speak on what you said, I will tell you my Kindle books far outsell the audio format and the paperback and hardcover format. It's definitely the number one selling format. Mm. And 55% of books sold are sold on Amazon. And so, yeah, people are generally, I think it's a combination of the Kindle formats cheaper, but also people want the book right now. And you can download it and start reading it immediately. So it's that instant gratification culture that we have that drives the Kindle format. As far as, so when I think about the future, I start thinking more about the other aspect of my business in the UMAP profile. So I think the world is, of course, getting smaller and smaller. So I think that having virtual, uh, so I have virtual training right now. I need to start thinking about virtual training in other languages and making my UMAP profile available in other languages. 
Um, so I, I'm in this, I'm in the assessment space, self-discovery. And I think more and more people are starting to get onto that message of knowing yourself really helps your career trajectory. I think a lot of people end up in careers that aren't a good fit for them just because they don't really know what they're good at. They're just tr trying things out. Yeah. So in the in the assessment space, if I'm going to be competitive in the future of the space, I think I need to start having thinking about more countries and languages. And I do certify people in other countries, but then they now have an assessment that's just in English. So I'm starting to think about the world being smaller and the borders sort of being knocked down and 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 better support in terms of um, different nationalities. Yeah. Just expand on UMAP a little bit, maybe, because, I mean, it's more than just a book. It is a, an assessment system. Mm -hmm. And there are a thousand personal assessments out there, right? People have probably done uh, Myers-Briggs or DISC or so. I mean, there, there are so mm -hmm. many. Um, yeah, those are personality assessments. UMAP specifically yeah. does not just look at one aspect of a person, which most assessments do. So it looks at at talent as one pillar. It's called the four pillars of career fit, but people use it for more than career. It's really the foundation of self-awareness. So it looks at talent. It looks at values, what's important to you. It looks at your skills that you prefer doing. And it looks at your interests, which your interests are shaped by your personality. So there is a personality component to the assessment, but it's not a personality assessment because that's one leg of the stool. So essentially your talents express through your values. You want to use your strengths or what you're good at in a way that's meaningful to you. So if I have a strength of, for example, improving people, I like to maximize people. One of my strengths is maximizer. Uh, one of my values is making a difference. So I want to influence people to reach their potential in a way that makes a significant impact in that person's life. If I were just maximizing processes, for example, like a Six Sigma black belt that's always making improvements, that's making a difference, I'm sure, but I don't see the direct impact in a person. So I need my talents to express through my values so that what I'm applying my talent to, I can see matters. And then the second piece of UMAP is your interests expressed through your skills. So as an example, if I like to instruct and train as a skill, if I'm not instructing and in training and instructing and training in a way that my interests are expressed. So for example, let me give you an example. If I like to instruct and train and I work for a company and they say, okay, here's our compliance course. We want you to teach this to all new hires and here's the script and here's the stories you'll tell. Don't go off the script and just do what's in the deck and follow your script. Well, if my interests are persuading and creating, I can't create stories. I can't create training activities. I can't be persuasive through my storytelling because I'm following someone else's script. So I would no longer like instructing and training. So sometimes we look at a skill and think, oh, I, I will like this and be really good at this. 
But if our interests don't express through those skills, we're not going to be interested in them at all. So that's what UMAP helps people understand how their what their talents are and the values they need to express through and what their interests are and the skills that those interests should express through. And I practice what I preach because I do my own UMAP and I the things I do in my business are specifically, I like to create and persuade and I like to write as a preferred skill. So that's why I write so many persuasive books using my imagination because I'm creating and persuading through the written word. Yeah. And maximize, as I mentioned, is my number one strength and making a difference is my number two value. So I'm, I'm writing through creating and persuading to maximize people to make a difference. So I, I make my own recipes, if you will, yeah. of how I should spend my time based on my UMAP. And that's what UMAP is. It helps people yeah. really figure out how they work, why they work, what they want to work on and, and what they're interested in. Yeah. So you are optimized. You're in the, you're I in am the optimized. Yeah. Every time yeah. people say, um, how are you doing? I like to say I'm living the dream because sometimes people say that a little tongue in cheek, but I really feel like I am, but it's not, yeah. see, it comes back to that word intention. It's not yeah. an accident. I didn't fall upon something. A lot of times people want to move from A to B, but sometimes it's not linear. You have to break it up into steps. So years ago in 2007, I got certified as a career coach and I decided that I wanted to coach people. And I thought, well, I was sitting at a desk coding. I was a programmer. I was in IT when I got certified as a career coach. I thought, how do I get out of IT? And I said to myself, well, I could first go into reporting and understand the business from business analytics. Mm -hmm. Once I understand the business, I could go into operations and then I could really understand the bread and butter of the business. And then I can get into learning and development because I can't go from IT to learning and development. What do I have to offer? But if I knew the business, I had a lot to offer learning and development because they're the customer of learning and development. So it took five years to move all around. I got a mentor to help me. Then once I, when I was in learning and development, I learned all I could. And then I said, okay, now the ultimate goal was to work for myself. Now I'm going to coach. I'm going to do workshops on someone else's dime. I'm going to do all these things. And then I'm going to side hustle. And then I'm going to quit my job. And that's what I did. And it took from 2007 to 2014. But I was patient. It took me seven years to to just be able to step out as an entrepreneur but i knew what i was doing and i it taught me how to say yes how to say no what fit into my plan what didn't fit into my plan it, sometimes it takes a few meandering paths but you know what i collected useful skills all along the way in those uh, working in operations i mean i now run a company so that operations experience is incredibly valuable to me. Oh yeah, sure. And then working in learning and development, I learned how to build training and I have a certification program. I certify people to use UMAP as coaches, consultants, and leaders. So every, all those steps I took were not wasted time. I was building my unique skill stack 
that's what's really cool is sometimes people feel frustrated by the winding journey, but you're collecting skills and experiences that are unique to you. Think about John Grisham. He was a lawyer and then he became a, a writer. There was, there is a ton of skills he picked up being a lawyer that are transferable skills to being a writer. You have deadlines, you have to analyze things, you have to interview for information, you have to be able to be persuasive. There are so many transferable skills. It might seem like writing fiction and being a lawyer. I laugh when I say that now because sometimes lawyers do write fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. They yeah, might seem sure. like very different careers, but are they really when you look at that? And instead of just throwing away the law experience, he writes legal thrillers. Yeah. So you can bring all of that to bear. It's never wasted. All of those things can be recycled. And the beauty of that is when you bring those things to the table, that unique skill stack, no one can copy you because you have too many levers of unique experience and skills that you can't be copied. Right, right. And it really does pay to understand what those unique things are about you that you could potentially blend together to optimize yourself, right? And I think, yeah. I, actually, I really recommend people look into UMAP, especially now, because I've said a few times that, you know, we've just been through a couple of years of opportunity, I think, for people to really reflect on what they truly value. And uh, and so people are making changes, choosing to make changes because of that. And if you have mm -hmm. a better understanding of yourself and where you might be uh, at your best, um, that, that will really help provide you with some direction, I think. So we've got to check out UMAP, I think, for sure. Yeah, it helps. It helps you make sense. I got a, a tweet just a couple of weeks ago of a guy, he tweeted me, tweeted my handle, and he said, I've been reading UMAP and my eyes have been opened. And I loved that feedback because I like to think of that, like the scales being scraped off our eyes and seeing ourselves. And oh, everything makes sense now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Kristen, I've been asking some fun questions to, uh, to some of the guests just to kind of get an idea of uh, sure. something that you like to do in your own neighborhood because we have we're talking to people from all around the world uh, you're in north carolina uh, if we're coming to visit you what do we need to see are there are there parks we need to be at are there restaurants we need to go to uh, is there a sporting event we need to plan to buy tickets for what do we need to go see in your neighborhood so if if you're coming to charlotte and you like to hike we have a, an amazing greenway system for hiking here and then not too far, you can hike, of course, in the mountains. Um, Grandfather Mountain is not too far from here. But I'm a hiker, so I really love all the hiking trails. But my favorite place to, to go is called um, Francis Beatty Park. It's like Colonel Francis Beatty Park. There's a, like, a man-made lake, and there's biking trails and hiking trails. And they have one of those um, pump tracks for cyclists, if you know what a pump track yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of fun on that. So I love to I love to to mountain bike in trails. And so I like going to Francis Beatty Park. If you like more formal organized events, Blumenthal Theater for the Arts has a lot of great shows like Waitress was just there. Um, some people like to see NASCAR when they're here. I'm not really into NASCAR personally. We have a really nice stadium here for the Carolina Panthers as well. I 
and some people like to go to the Billy Graham Library because there's a lot of history there. But personally, I just like the outdoors in the North Carolina area. So I love the biking and the hiking. I think we have more hiking and biking trails per capita than any other state. Wow. Wow. So lots of outdoor opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you on that. I, I'd be all over that for sure, because where I am, I'm in the eastern shadow of the Canadian Rockies and outdoors is what it's all about for us too. Mm -hmm. the hiking and the biking and the skiing and all of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, when I come to North Carolina, I know what we'll do. Nice. <laughs> Kristen, uh, our time is short and uh, it always feels like this in all of these shows. Uh, but where can we reach you? Probably the best place to reach me is through my website at myumap.com, M-Y-Y-O-U-M-A-P.com. That's probably the best place. I'm very diligent about responding to messages through my website. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And I know you're on social media too, so you can, uh, you can follow Kristen there. Um, and uh, yeah, hey, I appreciate you joining me uh, to have this chat. I think it's been really great. Absolutely. I love what you're doing. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Kristen. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, grateful to be broadcasting this program on your favorite streaming service. This is Dirt Road Journeys. I'm Rob Deptford.